Matthew chapter 6. Last week we looked at uh, verse 25 through 34. And I'm really just going to read that same section of Scripture to you this morning. And, uh, you know, last week we focused on the aspect of worry, that uh, God has not called us to worry. And we gave you four reasons not to worry. And if you're a worrier and you didn't make it uh, last week, don't worry. You can go online and you can listen to it. And, uh, and that's okay. And you can listen to, to those reasons why we shouldn't worry. And, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, it, it wasn't a good sermon, but it was a good message from the Lord. And so uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. I pray that he speaks to yours as well. Uh, but go check that out. It's, it's fbcelgin.org um, or, or firstelgin.org. Uh, Whatever you want to go to, it'll take you to the same place. So uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this morning, I want to talk to you about two kinds of people. And a good core of our talk, just so you know, is going to be taken by some, from some material by Bill Bright. Bill Bright, great uh, Christian man, did a lot of work with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. They just changed their name around. And, uh, and, and he's the guy that kind of wrote the four spiritual laws. And if you've ever witnessed to somebody and used the four spiritual laws, great, great witnessing material there. And so what I'm going to show you is kind of an updated illustration of what he've, he's done. And Bill basically says, you know, there are really three types of people in the world. You say, well, Pastor, if there's three kinds of people, why are we only talking about two of them? Well, I'll tell you, uh, because only two of them really apply to us today. But so the, the, the first type of person that he would identify, that we would say is kind of the natural man. That's the person apart from Christ, the person as they come, they're in charge of their own life. God is not a part of their life. They're calling all the shots. That's the natural man, the, the, the sinful man, you might say. Uh, Paul describes that person like this, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And, 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 you know, we live in a world full of those kind of people. And again, you say, well, pastor, if we live in a world full of those kind of people. Then why aren't we talking about those kind of people? Well, we, we, we are a little bit. But our text here in Matthew 6, you, you have to understand Jesus is talking to believers. He's talking to believers. And so I really want to focus on two kinds of people. Uh, they're both believers, uh, according to Scripture. At least that's kind of how we would label them. But they have very different lives, and their lives have very different outcomes. And so I want to talk to you about what I believe Jesus is saying. So let me show you some pictures. Here's the first kind of picture here. And uh, we would label this person. And I want you to look at that chair. That chair represents our life. That re- re- represents being in control. And I, I would label this, this kind of person that you see here as a, as a worldly Christian or a carnal Christian, you see that they, they know the Lord, that God is a part of their life, that, that, that maybe they've accepted Christ as Savior. Uh, but, but there's a very 
real thing going on in their life, and that's that they're still sitting in the seat of control. And, and, and here's the deal. Here's how I would explain this. It's not that they're trying to be Lord necessarily. I, I think in, in honesty, they're so used to having to provide for themselves. We talked about that last week. Why, why, why do we worry? A lot of times people worry because, uh, and we especially looked at the pagans. The pagans worried because their gods were, were deaf and dumb and blind and, and had no power or ability. Friends, we were those people. Right. At one point, we were apart from Christ. We had to provide for ourselves. And let's be honest, this self-preservation is difficult to, to get away from. And when, you're in, when, when that's ingrained in you, you begin thinking, you know what, I've got to provide for myself. And so here's what happened. We, we receive the grace of God. We understand that we need the forgiveness of God. We reach out for that forgiveness. The Bible would say that we're saved. But then in that moment, we never get discipled. You see, the gospel never gets down deep in us, and, and so we don't really understand what comes next. That's why the Bible doesn't say, go, go get people saved. It says, go make disciples, right? We tend to think it's all about conversion. Well, conversion is a full process. It's not just, hey, you need Jesus so you won't go to hell. If you leave somebody there, they're this kind of person. They become a worldly Christian because they're, it's so ingrained in them that they have to provide for themselves. That Get this, they try to do Christianity rather than simply be a Christian. See, they try to do Christianity rather than be a Christian. Now, here are some things you should notice. That S stands for self. You notice self is still on the throne. That cross there, that's Christ, of course. He's a part of their life. You notice he's not on the throne. He's not being allowed to be in control. And, and all those, those circles, that, that just represents all of their interests and, and, and desires. And I want you to see they are all over the place, aren't they? They're all over the place, and, and you see some are, are bigger than others. Some are taking up more time and more energy and effort, and then there's others that aren't receiving enough time. And, 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 and I want you to imagine that this is you, and maybe this is you, and you're in life right now, and you've got 50 million things going on, and you feel like you have never can put enough time or attention or energy or an effort into any of them, and you, you kind of feel, if you're there, you feel distracted. You feel like somehow this life is, is distorted. You're frustrated. And you feel the tension and the discord, don't you? I want you to know there are a ton of people that are believers, in my opinion, that are right, right there. You may be one of them. Here's how Paul describes that person. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he says, brothers, and this is why we believe these people are indeed believers. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but is worldly. He's talking about his previous letter. He says, mere infants. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly. And again, what I would say to you is, it seems to be that uh, that's exactly what Jesus is expressing to the disciples in Matthew six thirty three. Because you see, they are believers. These men are believers. And what he's warning against, he's saying, listen, you, you know me. Now, because you know me, make sure that you are not, uh, don't, don't allow the world to, to impact who you are. He's saying, don't be a, a worldly Christian. You've got to be different. You can't live life like that. I can't just be a part of your life. And then you still go about chasing after all these other things. Please, please, please don't be that kind of person. That's kind of the portrait we get that Jesus maybe is talking to us believers 
they're still pretty young in our faith. And you remember the disciples have only been with him for three years. And, you, you know, they're, they're about to uh, run away and they're about to fail. And, and we do those things. So he's kind of warning them, all right? So I, that's the first type of person I want to show you this morning, this, this carnal Christian. It's carnal Christian. Now, I want to show you the other option this morning. And it's a very, very different picture. Let's see that one. See, I, I, would, I would say that this is the spiritual man. You notice this is a very, very different picture. Christ is not just a part of this individual's life, but he is the very center of of this individual's life. You notice that Jesus is in the throne or on the throne and that he is in complete control of this person's life. And you notice some other things too, right? The big S has now become a little S, hasn't it? That big self that was in control is not only no longer in control, but understands that he's really not that big at all. And now he is in a subservient role to the master being Jesus. And you see that role of submission there. There's some other things you notice about this picture. Remember all of those interests and desires, all of those dots that we were chasing after and you know some of them were taking up more time and energy and effort and others were being ignored and you know somehow we found this great unity here and and, in all things are operating as they are meant to operate and receiving the exact amount of attention that they are meant to receive And, and then you notice something else they're not all spread out and random anymore are they no this person's life has complete focus attention and direction to life of purpose. You see that everything that this person does is focused on the kingdom of God. And God receives the glory through it. Guys, this is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, and everything that you do, do it for what? The glory of God. And this individual, very different from The first individual, this is the spiritual person, the kingdom-focused Christian, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that we we need to put God first, that, that Christ needs to be in control of all things. And you notice they're all working together in harmony for his glory. Now, now, if, if that's our aim, I, there are some things that I want you to notice. I'm going to be very brief. Three things, and, and we're going to be done. Okay? So three things that we can notice if we really look at these two pictures and these two types of people. Here's the first. Seeking God first. says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seeking God first puts God in his rightful place and us in ours. Seeking God first puts God in his rightful place and us and ours. And I want to show you those two pictures side by side, if if you don't mind. You see the first one there is is we are sitting on the throne and and, and God is just a part of our life. And, And you notice the mass confusion and the mass chaos. Now, here's why we're not meant to sit in that seat, because that 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 person there is completely overwhelmed by life. That person there has so much going on and it is so chaotic that they never feel like they're accomplishing anything. And and on a regular basis, they're asking of themselves, is this really all there is to life? Maybe that person is you. It's what happens when you sit in the wrong place. But you see, the other person is very different. 
That other person is very different. They are not consumed with everything that is going on. They're not known for the lack of order or focus. No, the other person has one thing to worry about. See, person on the left, everything to worry about. Person on the right has one thing. You want to know what that one thing is? It's keeping God in his rightful place. That's what, that, that, that's what seeking first the kingdom of God does. When, when, when we make it about God's kingdom and not about ours, then, then literally we have one focus now instead of 50. Instead of feeling like an epic failure because we can't keep every interest up in the air and we can't juggle it all. And, and, and let's just face it, we're not very good at it all. By the way, did you know you're not created to be good at it all? Did you know that? Do you know that God didn't create you to sit on the throne? You were made for the picture on the right. You were made to bow down before the throne and, and, and allow Christ to be who He was made to be, which is the one that holds all things together, through whom all things were made, for whom all things were made, in whom all things are held together. That's Jesus. And there's two very different pictures of people. There is the carnal Christian that is trying to do Christianity. And there is the spiritual Christian that is simply trying to be a Christian. They're bowing down before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one through whom all things were made, for whom all things were made, in whom all things were held together. And they're saying, please, sir, take your seat. <laughs> take your throne. And you notice what happens, all right? So that's the first thing I want you to see. Number two, we gotta, we got to book it. All right. <clears throat> and this is like one-third of what you were going to get, by the way. So we're breaking it down a little bit this morning. Okay, number two. I want you to see this morning that seeking God first brings meaning to every aspect of our lives. Seeking God first brings meaning to every aspect of our lives. Of our lives. Again, I want you to look at the picture side by side. Side by side. Let's look at those. The first one. All the stuff. All over the place. If you're an organized person, that picture drives you a little nuts, doesn't it? I had I, I listen, I'm not a super organized person, but just as I made those images, it was kind of driving me crazy. I like balance. And I was like, well, let's put one dot here and a bigger dot there and a little and it was driving me nuts. OK, I, I, listen, listen, if, if, if you look at that one closely, you see that everything is off doing its own thing and nothing has direction and nothing have has purpose. And then you look at the next one and you go, wait a second, it's so different. That is so radically different because there everything has intentionality and everything serves a purpose. And, and, and where are those things all pointing to? What are those things all pointing to? They're all pointing to Jesus, aren't they? Did you know that that's what we're made to do? We are, ma- friends, we're, we're like the moon. And we need to understand that we, you weren't created to be the sun. You weren't meant to be the light. You're meant to be the object that reflects the light. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be a reflection. Everything we do should point to Jesus. And that's a, that's problematic for so many of us. You're wondering, well, how does my job fit into it? Well, friend, your job fits into it because God has you there so you can make disciples. Right? So that you can earn money, so that you can fund the kingdom of God. And you start thinking, it radically changes everything. Can I eat for the glory of God? You betcha. 
I can eat for the glory of God. Can I drink for the glory of God? Yes, I can. Can I work for the glory of God? Sure. Can I play for the glory of God? Yes. I'll give you an example. I, uh, it's not a mystery to you guys. You know, I'm trying to finish up seminary. I'm in my very last class. It is driving me nuts. Uh, the first part of this class kicked my teeth in over the summer. And so I'm just kind of, I'm trying to tread water here and make it through. And, and, uh, and so we have soccer coming up. All three kids playing soccer. And I was like, Lord, I, I can't do this. I cannot coach soccer again. They always want me. I can't do it. And so I said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, my two youngest boys end up on a team with uh, some other kids whose dad's coach were all busy. No coach. No coach. And here I am and I'm mad and I'm angry. Gosh, I put it on the form. I said I didn't want to coach. Start working through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm like, God, thank you for a great opportunity to go and love children and encourage families for your namesake and for your glory. God, you know, we, 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 we struggle with that. Well, my kids are in extracurricular activities. Well, the reason you struggle with it is because they're in extracurricular activities currently just to be in extracurricular activities. And as a parent, you treat the sport in a way that you shouldn't. You need to treat the sport as an opportunity to meet other parents for the sake of Jesus and his glory and his kingdom. You see what I'm saying? Everything that we do can be used for the glory of God. Everything. When we put Christ in his rightful place, when we seek him first on a regular basis, when we say, God, I am your servant for your ministry and your message in everything that I do. It brings purpose and direction to all of those things. And we stop wandering about aimlessly going, God, is there more to it? And we go, oh, God, there is more to it. There is more to it. It's a big deal. Number three. Whew. I'm watching it, trying. All right. I want you to see that seeking God first relieves stress and brings balance to our lives. It relieves stress and it brings balance to our lives. I'm not going to take a poll this morning. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Uh, One more time, we'll look at these two pictures. I'm not going to make you raise a hand and tell me who of you are currently living a little too far on the left. But I'll tell you this, there are some things that would describe your life if you are. You're overworked, you're overburdened, you're overwhelmed. I would simply say to you that Jesus did not intend for you to have and to carry that kind of stress. All those things are a sign that you're sitting in the wrong seat. You're sitting in the wrong seat. We were never meant to do Christianity. By the way, if you try to do Christianity, you're going to find out really quick, it's impossible. We were simply meant to be Christians. That's sinners that have received the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus and have received the Spirit of God, His great gift as He sent this Counselor to live in us and to dwell in us and empower us to live like Him. It's not about doing anything. It's about being the people that God has created us to be. And when we become those people, we find that there is a lack of stress and there is a sense of direction and purpose. And that's what we're talking about when we say seek first the kingdom of God. So let me break all that down. So what what do we do with that? That brief little message. And again, that was about a third of what we were going to cover this morning. So come back next week and you'll get the rest. Okay. Application. All together, okay? Number one, um, we've got to take inventory. Uh, you say, what, what does that look like, Pastor? It, it looks like taking inventory. You, you've, got to, you've got to sit down and, and literally, uh, step one is, is not 
um, investigative, okay? Step one is just an objection-based, hey, what what am I doing? And and you literally, you list everything that you're doing. I I don't know how you guys shop. This is how we shop in our house. Uh, We're not a big fan of having multiple things all together. So my wife is a super organized person. She reads the sales ads and has the coupons. and, And then we do this thing, which I always complain about, we take inventory. Right. And anybody else do this. And so, like, I have to go to the fridge and she sits there with a pen and I call out. All right. We got some hamburger deals. And she's like, I want to know everything. Okay, we've got half a jar of mayonnaise, a third of a jar of ketchup. We have I mean, we walk through every go to the freezer. I've got six pounds of, uh, you know, ground bison or hamburger or whatever. And we take inventory so that. We're not, we're not wasting our time and our energy and our effort doing things that we've already done, right? And so uh, he, he, the, the cool thing about that is, is as far as the inventory goes, all I have to do is look at what's there. This is not the part where I have to decide whether or not it's good or bad. This, so the first step is easy. Just write down everything you do. And I mean everything. Right? Well, I watch TV. I'm on the computer. I do fantasy football. I like to play golf. I, I mean, you write down everything that you do. Everything, right? Just write it down. Here's step two. This is where it gets tough. Step two is, is that you have to start to reprioritize things. And, and here are some questions that, that might help you. Uh, is this, and not just is this, you've got to add this, this, this to it. Is this or can this be used for God's glory? See, if you ask, is this, being, is, this, is this used for God's glory? You'll cut out a whole lot of stuff that could be used for God's glory. See, because a lot of us just aren't doing it right. We're sitting in the throne. Therefore, it's not being used for God's glory. You say, hey, I, you could use golf for God's glory? You betcha. Because you could take out a young man that's new in the faith, and you could spend four hours pouring into him, asking him about God, asking him about his family. So there are ways that you can use those things. You follow that away, man. Ladies, it's discipleship. I need to go out. Okay? But, but I'm, I'm serious. I know a guy that was so good at this. And he wasn't a great golfer, but he just he just he he would invite two or three men out, and while they were on the course, he would talk to them about life, and they would leave different. They'd be okay, man. I'm going to think about those things, right? So 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 reprioritize. So here's what you ask yourself: Is this or can this be used for God's glory? If it is or it can be, then for now you can keep it in. But if it is not and it cannot be, it needs to be cut out, it needs to be pruned. Okay. Then third. Third, live for him. With all we have in everything that we do, we have to live for him. He has to be first, not us. His kingdom has to be first, not ours. That can be a struggle for some of us. But if we'll do that, I want you to hear the great promise because this, it's awesome. It's his kingdom, it's his righteousness, and it's his, it's his reward. Here's the great promise of God. If we'll seek him first, all the other things we were seeking after, all the other things we were worried about, all the other things we had up in the air, God says, listen, if you will seek me first, I will hold all those things together. I will make all those things purposeful in your life and you will get me and and all these things. You will get me and. So I would just submit to you. To me, the choice seems easy. Because currently, we seek after all the stuff we want and we're not content. We're miserable, we're overstressed, and we're overburdened. So you can keep that up. Option A. Option B. 
You can surrender all that to Jesus. You can take your rightful place at the foot of his throne. Allow him to be in control of all things. He'll take all things and make them right, make them balanced and purposeful in your life. And you can have him and purpose. You can have him and see how everything that you eat and drink can be used for his glory. I hope that you take option B.